This is our Thanksgiving blowout. Hi, everybody. Brian Sussman here. We're live on KSFO in San Francisco and streaming live at ksfo.com. Some of you, of course, are watching the replay of this show at YouTube or Rumble. Just search for Brian Sussman Show. Others of you listening on the various audio platforms, also Brian Sussman Show. And by the way, if you are watching or listening to those podcasts, please make sure you take a moment to subscribe because that way you'll get an alert whenever I drop my next podcast, which, as you know, is very often. So here we are live on KSFO. It's like being home again every Wednesday, 6 to 7 o'clock. When I had my evening show on KSFO and when I had my longstanding morning show on KSFO, the day before Thanksgiving, I would always take a moment just to talk about the history of Thanksgiving. Now, the present day occurrences involving Thanksgiving have to do with family and friends getting together and there's a little football on TV and there's a beautiful turkey dinner and, and uh, some beverages to go along with it. Little apple pie, pumpkin pie. It's a great thing. But sadly, in all of that, we forget the real history because it's, quite frankly, miraculous. And it led to the founding of the greatest nation that has ever been on planet Earth. Now, I know the left would disagree with me saying that. The greatest nation. Well, you, you tell me about a better one, okay? Oh, but the founders were all slave owners. Um, well, not true. Some were, sadly. But most weren't, thankfully. But let me talk to you about the founders that came to New England to start this new, new form of, of life, form of governance with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the inalienable rights that the left loathed so much. Uh, we have to go back first to the 1500s. 1500s, King Henry VIII. King Henry VIII, he had many wives. Uh, but his desire for divorce placed the word of God, the Bible, in the hands of the people. You know, it's interesting. When you look through history, God uses who he chooses. He uses some, some oddballs. He even uses some evil people to do what needs to be done to glorify his name. And that was the case in this particular situation as well. You see, up until this point with King Henry VIII, the Bible was only available in Latin. And only Catholic priests could read it. So all the people going to church, they had no idea what was going on. But then King Henry VIII said, that's it. What we're going to do is create a Church of England. And the Bible is going to be available in English. And Bibles are going to be printed and the people will be able to read them. Well, what happened next was a total revival. I mean, the last revival we saw in the United States, many are, are familiar with the Jesus Revolution, the Jesus Movement, the 1970s. What happened in England was just incredible. And people just got absolutely changed as they were reading the Word of God for the first time, lit up, and, and an incredible revival took place. He authorized the printing of the Great Bible distributed to all the churches of England, King Henry VIII died in 1547. His son Edward became king. Edward just lasted a few years. He died. 
His sister Mary became queen then in 1553. Mary did not like that her father had divorced her mother. Again, King Henry VIII had six wives. So Mary, Queen Mary, I think she was the very first Queen Mary, she did not like that her father had divorced her mother. So she said, huh, watch this, I'm going to make the Roman Catholic Church the official church once again. She got all the Bibles that were in English and burned them. And anybody who was upset with her burning the Bibles and did not want to acquiesce back to the Catholic Church was killed at the stake. She was known as Bloody Mary. So you always thought Bloody Mary was a cocktail. Well, it is. And a pretty tasty one at that, depending on who's making it. But the real Bloody Mary was a nasty, nasty, evil lady. Christians began fleeing. They fled for their lives. They went to other countries. And they said, listen, I don't, I don't want to go back to that church. You know, the fines at that point in time for not attending church were up to the equivalent of $9,000. And if you said you weren't going to do it, you'd get burned at the stake in many cases. So she died in 1558. Her sister Elizabeth now takes the throne and welcomes all the people back. She says, we're going to reinstitute the Church of England. It's going to be wonderful. However, one thing and one thing only. And you can have your Bibles back. But one thing and one thing only. Uh, you have to attend church. If you don't, we're going to impose that fine 20 pounds, the equivalent of $9,000. So now we have at this point in time, um, and then, then her brother came along. He became king. He, he was King James. He came up with the King James Bible. Anyway, there was a lot of back and forth between the church in England and the Catholic church. But the bottom line is there were a lot of people who said, oh, I, I, we don't like either of these churches. Can't we just be Christians and do it our own way? So you had two groups of people. There were the separatists who said, we want to separate from the official Church of England. We just want to, we want to do our own thing. Freedom of religion. And then there were the, the Puritans. The Puritans said, no, no, we're going to stay in the Church of England, but we're going to purify it. We're going to be the influencers. So here we have now these, these groups of, of rebellious Christians going to Holland first. Problem is, Holland. this is in 1608 to go to Holland. Problem is, Holland doesn't work all that well. It worked for a while, but the culture of Holland was very woke for that day. And these Christians were like, okay, our kids are being influenced by this culture. This is not working out. Where can we go? There were two choices on the menu. They literally thought about going to Guyana, literally Guyana in South America, or across the pond to this new world. There were already people from England in the new world along the Atlantic coast. They were in the Carolinas and Georgia. They didn't want to go there. That was a very worldly environment. And the Christians, or I should say the people in the Carolinas and Georgia, that was a very heavily industrialized agricultural community. And they were using African slave labor. And they had a saying, damn your soul, grow tobacco. They weren't interested in going there. They thought, let's, let's go north. We'll get, we'll get an official deed, so to speak, from, from the king of England, because that's the only way you could have passage and settle in the, in the new land. We'll get a deed. We'll travel to an area which is actually 
I guess it would be northern New York. Northern New York, actually, north, north from the northern New York onward into Maine. That's the region that they wanted to settle, but it was closer to New York near the Hudson River that they officially had permission to go to. So they said, we'll go there, we'll start our own thing, we'll build our own community, it'll be great, and then we'll use that as an outpost to spread the good news of Jesus to other parts of the world. So that was, that was their original goal. So to make a long story short, <laughs> which I have to do because I only have an hour, and, and I won't take up the entire hour, I promise you that. To make a long story short, uh, they decided they were going to go to the New World. And they purchased a boat called the Mayflower. And it was a very, very tough journey. There were 100 people on the boat. That included the crew and helpers. There were 100 people on board, but it was a, it was a three-month journey. They left a bit late, got into some really, really bad weather. They lost their bearings when they got to the Atlantic coast of what would become the United States of America. They veered way off course, and they ended up landing in... Plymouth, what is now Plymouth, Massachusetts. But I, I have to tell you why this is so important. Because in Plymouth, Massachusetts, well, in, in that area, on that particular bay, there was no one. It was, it was empty. They were worried about ha to being confronted by Native American tribes because they heard that the Native American tribes could, in some cases, be hostile to the foreigners, and for obvious reasons. They, they wanted to get along with everybody. They did not want to run into hostility. Where they happened to land was perfect, even though it was just as cold and nasty a winter as you could ever imagine. But it was perfect because the land had been vacated by a former Indian tribe who had been overcome by a plague of some sort and everyone died. Everyone died. And so Indians, Native Americans from the surrounding area didn't want anything to do with that land because they thought it was cursed. So let's go ahead and just talk a little bit more here. I've got some notes I want to attend to because William Bradford was the leader of this, of this sect of Christians that had come over. And again, they, they left from Holland coming over the three-month journey. He was the leader. Had he not kept an incredible journal, we wouldn't have the inside scoop to all this. And I think it's important because the inside scoop is what has made America great. And some of us, quite frankly, would like to see America be made great again. And by the way, if you're listening live on KSFO and just tuning in, hi everybody, I'm Brian Sussman. Thank you for being with me. Uh, we do this every Wednesday between six and seven o'clock. And if you missed what I just talked about or you're going to miss some of what's gonna come up during the rest of this hour, uh, just look for me online, Rumble, YouTube, or any of the audio platforms, Brian Sussman Show, and you can listen to the podcast of this, which is going to be posted just after the program. 
Okay, so here's the journal from William Bradford. He says this, The Lord had touched our people with heavenly zeal for his truth. They shook off this yoke of anti-Christian bondage, which they had been experiencing, you know, via Great Britain and the edict to be a part of the Church of England or else. They had shook off the yoke of anti-Christian bondage. And as the Lord's free people joined themselves by a covenant of the Lord into a church estate in the fellowship of the gospel to walk in all his ways made known or to be known to unto them according to their best endeavors. Whatever it should cost them, the Lord assisting them. So this, this is what Bradford wrote just as they were getting ready to board the ship to go on their journey. We've made a decision. We want to we help build a new church. It'll be fellowship in the gospel. And we know that there could be a cost involved here. Well, they had no idea what the cost was going to be. Additionally, Bradford recognized that through their reading of the Bible and their meeting together, many became enlightened by the word of God. This is what he wrote. Many became enlightened by the word of God and had their ignorance and sins discovered unto them and began by his grace to reform their lives and make a conscious effort of their ways. Here's, here's what they risked at this point. These were all people that were becoming changed, changed by the gospel. So much so that they said, listen, we're willing to take some risk. We want to do whatever God is calling us to do. Bradford lists the risks that they all knew they could face in this journey to the new land. Quote, the land was wild, unsettled, uncleared, and uncivilized. They could be harmed by beasts or men. Two, the voyage was long and dangerous. Three, the new world could subject them to famine, disease, infection, thirst, or violent death. Next, the trip was very expensive and would require funding, which they would have to pay back. William Bradford continued to journal here. And by the way, I just want to let you know, everything uh, I'm, I'm reading and sharing with you can be found at briansussman.com in my most recent blog post. So I, I got you covered. You want a replay? I can get you the replay. If you want uh, the, the transcript, so to speak, it's up at briansussman.com. It's up there right now, in fact. So Bradford Journal, it was answered that all great and honorable actions are accompanied with great difficulties and must be both enterprised and overcome with answerable courages. It was granted that the dangers were great, but not desperate. The difficulties were many, but not invincible. What courage these people had. Just the thought to me, the thought of a three-month journey on a creaky ship. I could, friends, I'm just being honest with you. I could never do that. Back to Bradford. True it was that such attempts were not to be made and undertaken with, without good ground and reason, not rashly or lightly, as many have done for curiosity or hope of gain, etc. But their condition was not ordinary. Their ends were good and honorable. Their calling lawful and urgent. And therefore, they might expect the blessing of God in their proceeding. Yea, though they should lose their lives in this action. Can you believe this? Yet they might have comfort in the same 
and their endeavors would be honorable. So from the get-go, Bradford has let everybody know, listen, there are risks here. This is, this is serious business. This isn't a joyride across the Atlantic. We could, we could lose our lives. Man, listen to this. And they were doing this out of obedience to God. They really felt God was telling them to do this. Little did they know. I mean, think about this. Had they not done this, the Carolinas where cotton was king and tobacco was king and slavery was the norm, that well could have been the United States at large. But these righteous people who were so opposed to those practices, those are the righteous people that brought everything that's good about America. Those are the righteous people that brought about us stopping wars, World War I, World War II. Those are the people who allowed us to become not just the most prosperous nation in the world, but a nation of great blessing to the world through the ridiculous charity that some in this country have bequeathed upon other parts of the world. And I've, I've met some of these champions, people that say, let me just write a big check right now. I've met these people. It's incredible. There, there's a gentleman, this is as an aside, but he's the guy that started uh, a company. I'll tell you, Plantronics. Plantronics. In the Silicon Valley. He started Plantronics. And I remember one time meeting with him and I just asked him, I was talking about money and we we're talking about giving. And, and he said, you know, Brian, there's nothing I like better than making a million dollars and spending it on the mission field. That's America. That's the spirit of these people that came across the Atlantic. The Mayflower, listen to this, consisted of 50 men, 19 women, three of whom were pregnant. Three of the women were pregnant. 14 young adults, 13 to 18 years old. 19 children, 12 and under. Wow. Total of 102 people altogether. One baby was born on the voyage across the Atlantic. Her name was Oceanus Hopkins. And then one day after the ship's arrival in, 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 uh, in Plymouth, Cape Cod Harbor, to be specific, uh, Peregrine, Peregrine White was born. And on December 22nd, 1620, Mary Allerton had a stillborn son while on the Mayflower, while it was anchored in the Plymouth Harbor. The 69 adult passengers were mainly in their 30s. The 14 young adults ranged between 13 and 18, as I mentioned. And the 19 children were 12 and under. The average age of the men who sailed on the Mayflower, 34. This is a young crew, man. Young breed. Brave. They arrived after their three-month journey on November 11, 1620, totally overshooting their mark by 200 miles. As I mentioned, they had permission by the government to, to land near the Hudson River, Upper New York. Uh, but they completely, they completely missed it. And it was a good thing. It was a good thing, as I mentioned. So once they got on, uh, once they got to their location, they're in this harbor of sorts. They decided, well, okay, we've clearly missed our mark. Let's, let's put together a new compact. I mean, we could get booted out of here. They could come after us. Let's, let's make a compact 
This was God's will we're here. This is our country. And they wrote this. This is the Mayflower Compact. In the name of God, amen. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord, King James. They're, they're, they're being a little facetious here. Our dread sovereign Lord, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, Ireland, King, Defender of the Faith, etc. Again, a little sarcasm. Said this. This is, this is the meat of the compact. Having undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another covenant and combine ourselves together into a civic body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid. At that moment in time, they were creating a government. The government would be based upon the word of God, for the glory of God, for the advancement of the Christian faith. The first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, as that area was actually known. That was the first civil or civic declaration that really brought forth the United States of America. Because there was nothing like that going on in the Carolinas and Georgia. What was happening there was just plain evil. And speaking of evil, that winter was evil as well. William Bradford writes this. This is May, excuse me, March 26, 1621. So this is just as their first winter was coming to a close. Listen to this. And in three months past, die half our company. I just want to say this. When we celebrate Thanksgiving, take a moment when you give that prayer to share that half the pilgrims that came to the new land during that first winter perished. The greatest part in the depth of winter wanting houses, houses and other comforts, being infected with the scurvy and other diseases which their long voyage and unaccommodated conditions brought upon them, so as there die sometimes two or three a day, of the some 100 persons, scarce 50 remain. This is incredible. The living scarce were able to bury the dead and the well not sufficient to tend the sick. I mean, people were dying and those who were alive didn't have the strength to bury the dead. Those who were well didn't have the strength to attend to the sick. Everybody was miserable and half of them died. There in the time of their greatest distress, but six or seven who spare no pains were able to help them. So they made it. Spring came. Summer came. Now here's, here's the miracle. I have to tell you about this. And this is extremely well documented. You got to know this. They started noticing that Native Americans began spying on them. Who, who are these people? 
with the funny hats <laughs> and the buckles and the shoes. Who, who are these people? And, and the natives began spying on them and they noticed this and they didn't know what to make of it. And then one day, some, some Native Americans approached them. I mean, started walking towards them. Well, of course, they took their muskets, didn't know what to think, but it was very obvious that these people coming forward were friends, not foes. And they were absolutely shocked when one of them spoke perfect English, complete with a British accent. True. That Indian's name was Squanto. Squanto, many years before, had been picked up by some Brits who were exploring the area and taken prisoner. He was taken as a slave. They brought him to Britain, and that's where he learned how to speak the English language. In fact, they put him in it, they put him in it in circuses. The great Indian from the New World, Squanto. He learned how to speak English. Somehow, it's kind of a long story, but somehow he made it back to his homeland. So when he saw these people, he, he knew them. He knew they were English. He knew they had no idea what they were doing in this area. He knew they had no idea how to farm this land. So he began to teach them how to farm the land. So when you finally get to that first Thanksgiving I can't really call it a celebration, but at first Thanksgiving, it wasn't a celebration because it was very sad. I mean, you had husbands without wives and, and wives without husbands and, and kids who both parents were dead. So it was solemn. It was very solemn. But they had a gathering and it was a wonderful feast. And all of these things they had grown over the course of the summer in terms of produce were there. And there was lots of fish. And there was lots of game. And the Native Americans sat down with these 50 remaining Brits, all Christians, and broke bread. And there were prayers. There were prayers. And there were prayers. And faith was actually shared. And faith actually spread with many of these, too many of these Native Americans as well. I just want to let you know that. So while in the southern portion of the Atlantic seaboard, the, the, the slogan was, damn your soul, grow tobacco. In that other region, it was glorify God. May he be glorified. And glorify this land, O Lord. Soon others, other separatists and some Puritans, began coming to flood the New World, looking for religious freedom and also for liberty. And again, I write about this in my upcoming book, Climate Gate, uh, excuse me, Climate Cult. First book was Climate Gate and Climate Cult. I, I spent a lot of time unpacking life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The book will be out in several months. It's, 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 it's with my publisher right now. But the original definition of liberty is freedom from the bondage of sin. I want to let you know that. Freedom from the bondage of sin. That's, that's
That's the real original definition of liberty. It's even in the Bible. Psalm 119, 44 through 46 says, So I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. But liberty in the new world meant something else, or would mean something else. It would mean having a government that would uphold the laws and precepts of God. You know, like the Ten Commandments, like do unto others as you would have them to do unto yourself. You would have a government that wouldn't get in the way of that, but would uphold that. That's true liberty. And that's what these people in New England were seeking. True liberty, a right to life, true liberty, and and the pursuit of happiness, which could become about through property ownership and intellectual property, which they didn't have in England. They didn't have intellectual property rights because if you believed something different than the Catholic Church or the Church of England or the Catholic Church or the Church of England, depending on who was king or queen, it was burned at the stake, even off with your head. This would be a country where your thoughts would be your thoughts. Your beliefs could be your beliefs. And no one would be able to take them away. Not to mention the right to own property. And by the way, your property, both intellectual and physical, brings you happiness. And our founders knew that very, very, very well. By the way, I just want to let you know, as we got into further into the 1500s, excuse me, further into the 1700s, there were some amazing things that basically started to take place. Actually, yeah, 1700s. The faith of those wonderful Puritans, those pilgrims, began to wane. So again, you have to remember, we this country wasn't founded until 1776 officially. So there's a lot of time between the pilgrims' arrival in 1620 and 1776. But while faith was beginning to flourish in New England, and slavery was never really tolerated in that area much at all. Uh, you and then you had the, the southern southern colonies, which were you know all about slavery. You had the, these two different Americas. But something happened in 1735. There was an outbreak of Jesus that took place, an out, a Christian outpouring, and it began to spread into the South. And it began to affect many in the South as well. And it was really, two things came from it. One, with this newfound faith that seemed to be just flourishing, it was called the Great Awakening. Uh, With this newfound faith that was just flourishing, there were more and more people that were looking at England as being so oppressive and, and so evil that they wanted nothing to do with England anymore. Were were it not for this great awakening that took place, there probably wouldn't have been an American revolution. People would not have been fired up enough to rebel against the biggest army on the planet, the biggest military on the planet. Because that's what they were up against. But they had this, this spirit of faith within them that, no, we can do this. We may lose our lives. We may lose our, our sacred honor. We may lose it all, but we're going to go for it. So that 
flourishing of faith in the early to mid-1700s brought about the Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, brought about the Declaration of Independence. But something else happened from that flourishing of faith. There was a great distaste for slavery that began to develop as well. And of course, that would bring us to a civil war in the mid-1800s. But I want to just let you know a couple of things here because this is super important. And again, I have a lengthy article about this at briansussman.com. And I do want to mention this. In 1775, Ben Franklin led the first anti-slavery convention. So the same year the Revolutionary War against Great Britain began, there was the first anti-slavery convention. I know there are some, maybe even listening, who would say, well, all those founders were slave owners. No, 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 no. I'm just going to share with you quotes from the founders on slavery because I think this is important in this. We need to give thanks with a grateful heart for this country. There have been a lot of hardships, a lot of trials, a lot of tribulation. A lot of people gave their lives for this country, including those first 50 who died out of 100 on the Mayflower. But let me give you some quotes here because I think this is super important. John Adams said this. Slavery is a foul contagion in the human character. Governor Morris, Governor Morris, Governor was his first name. Governor Morris wrote the preamble to the Constitution of the United States of America. Here's what he said. Slavery is a laudable horror in the defiance of the most sacred laws of humanity. Ben Franklin said this. Mankind are all formed by the same almighty being alike all objects of his care and equally designed for the enjoyment of happiness. Thomas Paine, one of the most persuasive voices for liberty, said this, slavery is an outrage against humanity and justice. Roger Sherman, a signer of both the Declaration of the Constitution, called slavery iniquitous. Iniquitous. You know, completely ignored in most discussions of slavery is the fact that slavery was mankind's standard fare throughout history. It's an evil world, and there have always been evil people, and God has never, never, never been pleased with it. The word slavery comes from Slavs, referring to Slavic people who were early slaves. And by the way, slavery continues today in Africa. Crazy what's happening in Africa right now. And in China, and in North Korea, Yes, it is America's foundational sin. And there were great consequences for that sin. 600,000 people died in the Civil War. And we've been wrestling with racism ever since. But there's a spirit driving this, and the Bible calls that spirit the father of lies. Friends, this Thanksgiving, let's, let's forget about ourselves. Let's concentrate on the goodness that is America. I know there are great differences of opinion right now. But if we stick to the facts and stick to the true history and look at all the great things that have come from this planet, excuse me, come from this country to the rest of the planet, I think it will be a great moment to pause and give thanks with a grateful heart and thank God for his mighty provision.
Friends, thank you for joining me on this, The Brian Sussman Show, live on KSFO. Don't forget the podcasts available on YouTube, Rumble, and all the various audio platforms. Just search for Brian Sussman Show. I pray that you have a great Thanksgiving Day with family and friends. And if if you're alone for the holiday because of whatever circumstances may have befallen you, no matter what the situation may be, Take a moment, bow your heart, and thank God, and ask Him to fill you with a peace that passes all understanding. Thank you, friends. Appreciate you. Brian Sussman, signing off.